0: Thanks, Steve. I'm going to start with a Bible reading, um, which comes from Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. The heading in the uh, NIV version is The Servant of the Lord. So, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out in faithfulness he will bring forth justice he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth in his law the islands will put their hope this is what the lord the, this is what god the lord says he who stretched who sorry who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness... I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. David Bird, um, last week reminded us how Advent and Christmas is linked so much with songs. And David uh, particularly talked about the Christmas number ones. Now, if you're going into a store or um, some sort of shop or retail outlet over Christmas, I'm sure that you will encounter loads and loads of Christmas songs. You know the usual suspects, don't you? Jingle bells, white Christmas, I wish it could be Christmas every day, driving home for Christmas, and so on. And of course, there's the one with these words Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Why? Santa Claus is coming to town. And of course now, of course you would expect me to say this, and I, but I hope you agree songs like "Santa Claus is coming to town," are centering on the wrong person, that Christmas should be about Christ, about Jesus. And Advent, the, Christ, the se- Christian season that leads up to Christmas, is about trying to get our thoughts our lives centred on Jesus. The lead-up to Christmas is also about anticipation. In our culture, it's a lot about anticipating what we will give or what we will get for Christmas. It's about anticipating what food or drink we will enjoy, which programmes we will watch on television... Who we, will be, who we will be with. Our daughter in law, Ashley, is really excited at the thought of um, being able to go back to the States to be with her family, whom she's not seen for so long. So we're on 10 talks this week that none of uh, that Paul or Ashley or PJ, none of them test positive for COVID. Now, I'm not knocking these things about Christmas. I like Christmas. I like giving and I like receiving presents. I like the food. I like being with people. I like even playing silly games. But Advent is about the anticipation of Jesus. Anticipation of celebrating his coming into our world. Anticipation of his coming into our lives right now and anticipation of him coming again at the end of this age to make all things right. So as well as Advent being trying to get our thoughts centred on the right person, it's also about anticipation For some bigger things than presents or parties or even people. Now, the Jewish people, the time of Jesus was born, they were anticipating that sometime God would send a king to usher in his kingdom, to defeat their enemies, to set them free. That king was the Messiah but their anticipations were not for the sort of king that came. And I think it's true to say that um, what Isaiah writes about in chapter 42 about the servant, they didn't expect the servant to be the Messiah. But because we're looking back from our perspective we can see how Jesus, who is the Messiah, is also the servant whom Isaiah wrote, writes about in Isaiah 42. But before we consider what... Um, sorry, just retract a second. Now, that passage in Isaiah 42 is the first what's been identified as four or five servant songs that come in the second half of the book of Isaiah. If you've been a Christian for some time, you're probably familiar with the servant song that comes in Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering servant who bore our iniquity. But before we consider who the servant, what the servant does, our relationship with him, we need to ask this question: Who is the servant of the Lord? Now, you may be that sitting there thinking, well, it's obvious. It's obviously Jesus. But the trouble is, it's not obvious to everyone. There are a number of possibilities as to the identity of the servant, some of which are, um, Isaiah himself calls the servant. For instance, there's King Cyrus whom God used to repatriate the Jews from Babylon to Israel. There's a possibility that the servant was Isaiah himself. Or if you were Jewish and I asked you, who is the servant of the Lord? You would probably answer the Jewish people or the Israelite nation. And it is true that Israel is called the servant of the Lord in Isaiah. For instance, in chapter 41 verse 8, when God says this, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. The calling of the Old Testament people of God was to be God's servant and to fulfill the mission that God had for them. But they failed to do so In fact, none of the options that I've talked about fit the picture of the ideal servant of the Lord in the passage in Isaiah 42 or in any of the other servant songs in Isaiah. None fit it except Jesus. And of course, living as we do after the coming of Jesus, we can see how Jesus does fit the bill how he is the ideal servant of the Lord. And if you look at a passage from the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 15 onwards, Matthew clearly identifies the servant of the Lord with Jesus. So what do we learn about the servant of the Lord from this passage? And how do we see what is said fulfilled in Jesus. First of all, the servant doesn't take the path of power. He's not leading a revolution that aims to put things right by force. And that's surely one of the points that Matthew has in mind when he applies this passage to Jesus in Matthew 12. When Jesus was faced with conflict with the Pharisees, he withdraws to a different place. After the feeding of the 5,000, as recorded in John's Gospel, when people were beginning to talk of Jesus as the prophet, promised in the Old Testament, knowing that they intended to come and take him and make him king by force, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And again in John's Gospel, when his brothers urge him to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, they say to him, you can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. That's John chapter 7, verse 5 from the New Living Translation. Jesus doesn't act like the Messiah is meant to act according to popular expectations, because he's not just the Messiah. He is the servant of the Lord. The message translates verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 42 like this. He won't call attention to what he does with loud speeches or gaudy parades and the way that the servant deals with people is different from the way that so often the powerful deal with people it says in isaiah 42 verse 3 a bruised reed he will not break a smoldering wick he will not snuff out we live in an age and society where so much is disposable, even though there's a backlash against that now. Or if something's broken, we throw it away, buy a new one. Remember at one time when I was working, uh, I was speaking to a colleague about the problems that we were having with our computer at home. And her response was this. Well, it's not worth getting it repaired. They're so cheap now, buy a new one. Of course, that begs the question of what you consider cheap. But perhaps we are too ready to discard things that can't be repaired and too ready to discard things that are less than perfect. In Isaiah's time, reeds were used for a variety of purposes. Short lengths for pens, medium lengths for flutes, and long lengths for fishing spears or measuring rods. For whatever purpose, you had to have a strong, undamaged length. If a reed was damaged or bruised, it would be broken, thrown away, and a new one picked. But the servant does not break the bruised reed, and he does not discard it but of course this isn't about reeds, it's about people. There are many in our own world, in our own society, our communities, our churches, maybe our own families, who are bruised and damaged by what life has thrown at them, or by their upbringing, or by the choices they have made. To Jesus, the servant of the Lord, they are still worth so much. He will not break them or discard them, but wants to see them made whole. And what he wants for others, he wants for us. We too can feel worthless, bruised, failures, But he wants us to be made whole. Most of you, I'm sure, will know the account of the woman caught in adultery who the religious leaders bring to Jesus to see what his verdict is upon her. Jesus could have come down hard on her in judgment, and yet he refuses to condemn her. A broken reed that he does not break or discard. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. The picture of a smouldering wick reinforces the picture of the bruised reed. When Marlene and I went to Israel, we went to a place in Nazareth where they had tried to recreate a village as it would have been in the time of Jesus. Before we left the village, we were given one of these oil lamps. I'm not sure whether you can see it well enough. I guess the, new, the real ones were very much bigger than this and of course you've got a picture on the screen which gives you a better idea of what they're like when they are lit. The idea is you've got a reservoir of oil, you put the oil in, you light the wick. The trouble is when the oil gets low, the wick starts to splutter and smolder and you snuff it out, fill up the oil. As Christians, we are called to be light to the world, but we may may feel that we're more like a smouldering wick, not much use, failing to be what we should be. But Jesus doesn't snuff out that smouldering wick. He wants to fan the flame, to make it brighter. If you see yourself as a bruised reed or smouldering wick, then this Advent season, ask Jesus, the servant of the Lord, to come to you, bringing to you forgiveness, restoration, and restoring you to something like the person you feel God would like you to be. Later on in the passage in Isaiah, it speaks of the servant opening the eyes of the blind, bringing release for those who've been imprisoned. And we see that in the ministry of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. The blind do see. Those who are imprisoned by evil are set free. Jesus, the Messiah, who's also the servant, is the key to people's eyes being opened to see the truth of the gospel and to be freed from sin and evil. So then, the servant doesn't take the path of the powerful, nor does he deal with people, as so often the powerful do. Secondly, the servant brings justice. I wonder if you uh, picked up that refrain that came again and again in Isaiah 42. He will bring justice to the nations. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. The message, again, I think is really helpful in the way it renders these verses. He'll set everything right among the nations. He'll steadily and firmly set things right. He won't tire out and quit. He won't be stopped till he sets things, till he's finished his work to set things right on earth. As you watch the news or read the paper or hear of the tragedies that we've heard of in, even in the past couple of weeks, don't you long for things to be set right in our world? Isn't that a longing within our hearts? For it to be a world where each person is treated as important because each one is precious in the sight of God. We see in the earthly ministry of Jesus how he puts things right in the lives of the individuals he encounters But these verses speak of a wider ministry, setting things right on earth. And I believe that's worked out in two ways. Firstly, as God's people now, we are, or we should be, part of Jesus' mission. You and me, if we're committed to uh, to Jesus, should in some way be part of setting things right on earth now. Through prayer, perhaps taking those words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, may your kingdom come, your will be done, as our starting point. Praying for the things that we see in the news, praying for the leaders of our nations. So, firstly, through prayer, secondly, Maybe also raising our voices to speak out for those whose voices are not heard. The refugee, the poor, the disadvantaged. Proverbs chapter 31 verse 8 says this. Speak up for the people who cannot speak for themselves. Protect the rights of all who are helpless. Maybe, for instance, writing to the MP, to the government about the fair distribution of COVID vaccines or some other issue that you've seen on the news. So through prayer, through raising our voices, and thirdly, through action, asking ourselves, can we be involved in any way in helping to set things right in our world? And I know that um, lots of you here are doing that through perhaps things like food bank. Now, I do think we need to be careful. Um, If we're not careful, we can be overwhelmed with the problems that the world faces. And we do need to realise that we cannot take all of the problems on our shoulders. That's God's task, not ours. And I don't want to send anyone on a guilt trip either. But surely we mustn't opt out from taking some part in Jesus' mission to set things right. Graham Kendrick wrote a short song that I think is a good prayer to pray. Certainly for me, maybe for you as well. Soften my heart, Lord. Soften my heart. From all indifference, set me apart to feel your compassion, to weep with your tears. Soften my heart, O Lord, soften my heart. Also, I believe that these verses about the servant setting things right for our world look forward to a time when Jesus will come again. And everything will be set right. In setting things right, I think we have to acknowledge that that will mean that there will be judgment on what is bad, what is evil within our world, a final victory over our things. And the call for us as Christians, as we wait for Jesus to come again, is... Live as children of the light, finding out what pleases the Lord. So the servant doesn't take the path of the powerful. He sets things right. Thirdly, he's a covenant given by God. A covenant's a solemn agreement between two parties. There's several of them in the Bible. A covenant with Noah, with Abraham, with the people of Israel as a whole. But in the book of Jeremiah, God speaks of a new covenant that he will make with his people. I will put my law within them, write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. None of them will teach a neighbor to know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. I will forgive their sins, I will uh, no longer remember their wrongs. Jesus is the embodiment of that new covenant. He's the one who brings it about, principally through his death on the cross. And we experience the promises of the new covenant by receiving by faith what Jesus has done on the cross not taking the path of the powerful, setting things right, being a covenant given by God. And fourthly, the servant brings salvation, which is for everyone. God says this of his servant, I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. The servant's mission, his ministry is not just for the Jewish people, God's chosen people. It is for everyone. Listen to these words from the second of the servant songs. This is Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. It is too small a thing for my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light To the Gentiles, that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. I hope you get what God is saying then about the servant about Jesus that bringing back to God those within the Jewish race, that's too small a task for him. He's also a light to all other peoples, showing the way to God, bringing salvation to all peoples. I'm sure you know the words of of Simeon as he saw Jesus shortly after he'd been born. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. I hope you see that's good news for all. We don't have to have been born a particular nationality. Nationality, we don't have to have been born Jewish, nor come to that British. Servant brings salvation to God to all who would receive it, rather would receive him. Now it's important for us to receive that salvation that's in Jesus for ourselves, But once we've done that, we should in some way be involved in the mission that God has given to his servant to bring salvation to the world, to be involved by prayer, by giving, by trying to reach out to those whom we live amongst, supporting those who are taking the good news further afield into our world. People like Emma or Arabella, supporting her maybe. Maybe Paul's favourite expression for those who are Christians is that we are in Christ. Because we are in Christ, we are part of Christ's mission. A mission for the whole of humanity. Again, like we're thinking about justice, setting things right, we can't do everything. We can't support every mission activity, every person who goes But we do need to be involved in some way in seeking to share the good news of of, uh, Jesus to all. So then, as we go through Advent, just another couple of weeks, I wonder if we can keep in mind the servant of the Lord who didn't take the path of the powerful, but dealt gently with the bruised and the failure. Who began to set things right when he came and will complete it when he comes again. Who is a covenant given by God, bringing forgiveness, making it possible for us to know God. Who brings salvation for all people. And I just want to close by reading just one uh, final phrase from the message. This is the first phrase of Isaiah 42, where God says this, Take a good look at my servant. When I was a teenager, there was a song that I really liked called Stop, Look and Listen. I think that's a good motto for Advent. Stop, look at the servant, look at Jesus, and listen to what God says about him. So this Advent season, let's take a good look at the servant of the Lord and consider carefully how what he came to accomplish impacts on us. Amen. As the musicians come back for the final song, I wonder if we could just be quiet and if you feel that God has spoken to you in some way through uh, his word about the servant, could I just ask you to pray this? You you won't forget it. As soon as the temptation, and I know it because it happens to me, is when we leave um, the worship service, we get talking to people, And we forget what God might have been saying to us. So just bow your head for just a moment or two. And if you feel God's spoken to you, just ask him, please God, don't let me forget this, but to act upon it. Amen. Amen. Now we come to our final song, which is Into the Darkness. prayer. Father, do ask please that if we have heard you speak to us this morning, that it will uh, not be lost in all the busyness of Christmas, that we will take time to take a good look at the servant of the Lord, Jesus. And now, go forth into the world in peace, be of good courage hold fast what is good, render to no one evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, honour all people, love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now may the blessing of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, rest and remain upon each one of you,